close. The design of the foregoing notes upon the holy evangelists, being to recommend the instructive life of our blessed Redeemer to our observation and imitation, although I have upon all occasions propounded his example to be followed by us in all the steps of an imitable virtue, as the matter everywhere occurred, yet a judging it may be profitable to sum up together the several graces and virtues which were so oriented in the life of Christ, that having them daily before our eyes, we may be continually correcting and reforming of our lives by that blessed pattern. I shall therefore briefly offer at it, because nothing is so proper to form us to holiness as the example of the mediator, it being absolutely perfect and thoroughly accommodated to our present state. There is no example of any mere man that is to be followed without limitation, but the life of Christ was as the purest gold without the least alloy. His conversation was a living law, and Christianity, which is the best and holiest institution in the world, is nothing else but a conformity to his precepts and pattern. The universal command of the whole gospel is this, to walk as Christ walked. This denotes a sincere intention, design, and endeavor to imitate and follow him in all the paths of holiness and obedience. Particularly let us imitate Jesus, one, in his early piety, we find him at twelve years old about his father's business, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing and asking them questions. See on St. Luke 2, 46 and 47. An early piety gives both the person and the service a peculiar preeminency, no comfort in life, no happiness in death, like the happiness and comfort of being good betimes. Two, in his obedience to his earthly parents. See on St. Luke 2, 51. He went down to Nazareth and was subject to them. He paid homage to the womb that bare him, and to his supposed and reputed father that provided for him. Let a person be never so high above others, he is still below his parents. If the highest upon earth think their parents beneath them, and themselves above their parents' commands, our Savior did not so. What shall we think of those monsters of ingratitude, the reproach of human nature, who are ashamed to own their parents because of their poverty, or despise them because of the infirmities of their age. Proverbs 23:22. Hearken to thy father that begot thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. 3. In his unwearied diligence in doing good. Acts 10:38. Who went about doing good. This was his meat and drink by day, his rest and sleep by night. He fed the hungry, clothed the naked, visited the sick, was eyes to the blind, feet to the lame, and administered to such as were in necessities and straits. And he has declared that he will judge us at the great day, according to our imitation of him in doing good to all mankind. See notes on Matthew 25, the last ten verses. 4. In his humility and loneliness of mind. Matthew 11:29. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Witness his stooping to the meanest office, even that of washing his disciples' feet. St. John 13.5 He that came in the form of a servant performs the office of the meanest servant to his disciples. And all of this was to set us an example of mutual condescension to each other. If I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. Which precept, though it doth not bind us to the same action, yet it obliges us to the same condescension. 
namely, to think no office of love beneath us, which the necessities of our brother call for from us. 5. In the unblamedness and inoffensiveness of his life and actions, he injured none and justly offended none, but was harmless as well as holy. He wrought a miracle to pay tribute money, rather than give occasion of offense to the government. See on Matthew 16.37. Accordingly, let us be harmless and blameless, wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Piety without policy is too simple to be safe. Policy without piety is too subtle to be good. 6. In his imminent self-denial, he emptied himself and became poor. When he was rich as God from all eternity, he impoverished himself by becoming man. Oh, what did he not deny when he left the bosom of his father with the ineffable delights and pleasures which he there enjoyed from all eternity, and instead thereof to drink the cup, the bitter cup of his father's wrath, for our sake? Lord, how can we enough abase ourselves for thee, who thus deniest thyself for us? 7. In his contentment in a low and mean condition in this world, yea, in a suffering and afflicted condition, he would not honor the world so far as to have any part of it in his own hand, and was therefore of himself less provided of comfortable accommodations than the birds of the air or the beasts of the field. See Luke 9.51. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Let us learn from him to manage an afflicted condition with a contented spirit. Let there be no murmurings, complaints, or foolish charging of God heard from us, whatever straits or troubles we may be brought into. But in whatsoever state we are, let us be there with content. Philippians 4.11 8. In his frequent performance of the duties of private prayer and fasting, he sometimes spent a whole night in prayer. Luke 6.12 He went into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And Mark one thirty five, in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went into a solitary place and prayed. It is certain that we have much more business with Almighty God in prayer than Christ had. He had no sins to confess, no wants of grace to make known. Yet did he delight with frequency and fervency to perform this homage to his heavenly Father. Lord, how doth thy zeal and forwardness condemn our remissness and lukewarmness in praying to our Heavenly Father. 9. In his affectionate performance of the duty of praise and thanksgiving, our blessed Savior was a great pattern of thankfulness. Matthew 11.25 I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, etc. John 11.41 Father, I thank thee, and thou hast heard me. When he was to eat common bread, he received it with thanksgiving. What a pattern of thankfulness, then, was Jesus to his followers. There is hardly one external duty which we do not find the hypocrite performing in Scripture, except this, of thanksgiving and praise. We find Judas repenting, Ahab humbling himself, Saul sacrificing, but rarely do we find any wicked men blessing and praising God. Need will make us beggars, but grace only thanksgivers. 10. In his compassion towards those that were in distress and misery. Matthew twenty thirty four, Great was his compassion to the bodies of men. He healed all that came unto him. He healed many undesired, with great condolency and tender sympathy. He exercised acts of mercy and compassion when the object of compassion was before him, and did perfectly abhor and severely condemn all acts of cruelty. 
How great was his compassion to the souls of men. What pains did he take, and what hazards did he run, in preaching the gospel to lost sinners, in his fervent prayers for them, but especially in dying for them. Let us imitate Christ herein, as his compassion was universal to all mankind, to the whole man, soul, and body, as it was active and operative, as it was exercised with marvelous complacency and delight, as it was a preventing compassion and an unwearied compassion, so let ours be also. 11. In his holy and fruitful discourse, his lips dropped as the honeycomb, and his tongue was as choice silver. When walking with his disciples to Emos, with what heavenly discourse did he entertain them in the way? See Luke 24.13, etc. A good pattern of our imitation, when providentially cast into such company as will bear it. Lord, what a shame and reproach it is to us, that in common conversation we spend so many hours together, in talking over the news of the city and country, and part without speaking one word of Jesus Christ, our best friend. 12. In his free conversation, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, Matthew 11.19, that is, was of a free and familiar converse, affable and sociable, not sour or remorse, never shunning the society of the worst of men, even of the Pharisees themselves, but complying with their innocent customs and accompanying them at their feasts. See on Luke 5.29, we do not find that when Christ was invited to any public entertainment that he ever refused to go not so much for the pleasure of eating as for the opportunity of conversing and doing good. Christ conversed with bad men, but as their physician, not as their companion. Let us go and do likewise. 13. It is patience under suffering and reproaches. When he was reviled, he reviled not again, but underwent the burden of his sufferings with admirable patience and meekness of spirit. When his name and honor suffered the vilest indignities, blasphemies, and reproaches that the malice of Satan and the malignity of wicked men could belch out against it. When he was called a blasphemer, a sorcerer, a devil, a wine-imbiber, a glutton, a friend of publicans and sinners. For an innocent person and a dignified person to bear all this, when he could have looked all his enemies into hell and have frowned them into nothing, verily to bear all this, without the least discomposure or spirit, is the highest triumph of patience that ever the world was acquainted with. And why all this but to leave us an example that we should follow his steps? 1 Peter 2, 21 and 22. 14. In his readiness to forgive injuries, one of his last words upon the cross was a prayer for his murderers. Father, forgive them. Luke twenty three thirty four. He offered up his blood to God on the behalf of them that shed it. Thus to forgive our enemies, and to beg forgiveness of them, will be an evidence of a Christ-like frame and temper. When the grace of God calms those tumultuous and outrageous passions, which at any time we find raging in our breasts, molding our spirits into sweetness and gentleness, freeing us from all malicious desires of revenge, which are so far beneath a Christian, that it is the baseness of a man. Yea, as jealousy is the rage of a man, so malice is the rage of a devil. It is the spirit of the apostate nature. 15. In his laying to heart the sins as well as the sufferings of others. Mark 3.5. He was grieved for the hardness of their hearts. Such was his zeal for his father's glory, such his compassion on the souls of men, such his antipathy against and hatred of sin, that he was grieved for sin wherever he found it, and mourned over those who had no heart to mourn for themselves.
Lord, how far are they off from a Christ-like spirit and temper, who instead of mourning for other men's sins, rejoice in inequity, and take pleasure to see their brothers stab at once the Christian name and his own soul. 16. In his zeal for the public worship of God. John 2.17. The zeal of thy house has eaten me up. Now as Christ was, so Christians ought to be, intensely zealous for the glory of God, the honor of his house, and the purity of his public worship. The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. Our zeal for the public worship of God glorifies him most, and he accepts it best. Now we own the God whom we serve in the face of the world, and this creates a veneration and esteem of God in the minds of men. 17. His glorifying of his Father in all he did. John 17.4. I have glorified thee on earth. The whole life of Jesus, when here on earth, was a glorifying of his Father. He glorified his Father by the doctrine which he taught, by the miracles which he wrought, by the unspotted purity of his life, by his unparalleled suffering at his death. In like manner, should we glorify God in all we do, in all we design, in all we desire, in all our natural actions of eating and drinking, in our civil employments, buying and selling, in our lawful recreations, taking care that not too much of our time be consumed therein. Recreation is not to be our business, but to fit us for business. But especially, let us seek to glorify God in our religious duties, public, private, and secret. 18. In his impartiality and reproving of sin, he feared the faces and spared the faults of no offenders. The Pharisees were a proud and haughty sort of people who dishonored God above most when they pretended to glorify him above any. Therefore we find Christ denouncing a bad roll of woes against them in one chapter. Matthew 23. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Eight several woes are denounced against them, for so many several sins committed by them. Those to whom God has given his authority to reprove the sins of others ought to imitate their pattern in his impartiality in reproving sins. His very enemies gave him that character. Matthew twenty three seventeen. Thou carest not for any man, thou regardest not the person of men. That is, thou sparest none, but tellest all men their faults. 19. By his universal obedience to his father's will and cheerful submission to his father's pleasure. He obeyed the will of his father universally, voluntarily, sincerely, and with a single eye to his glory, perseveringly, and to the end. And as he was, so must we be faithful to the death, if we ever expect the crown of life. And so in like manner did he submit to the will of his providence. Father, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Not in my will, but thine be done. Oh, let us keep this example continually before us, and every day obey the will of God's precept universally, and submit to the will of his providence very cheerfully. This is heaven on earth. 20. In his love and practice of universal holiness, both in heart and life. He was holy in nature, holy in principles and motives, holy in his aims and ends. He was perfectly holy, precisely holy, uniformly holy, exemplarily holy. He delighted not in holy persons and holy things. It concerns us to imitate him therein, if we ever expect to be where he is. Heaven is the habitation of holiness. The company is holy, the employment holy, the enjoyment's holy. No unclean thing can enter into heaven or could be happy in heaven. Heaven is rather a nature 
than a place. It is not the place of heaven can make us happy, but the disposition and temper of our own minds in heaven. Without conformity to the nature of God, there could be no communion with him, no delight in him. What a discourteous courtesy it would be to turn a filthy swine into a garden of curious flowers, to lodge it in a bed of sweet perfumes, to bathe it in a clear and crystal fountain. Alas, its unclean temper and sordid inclinations would rather choose to lie down in a kennel and to wallow in a mire in its proper element. Thus unsuitable would heaven be. That place of greatest happiness would be the greatest uneasiness to an unholy heart. Let us then pray and endeavor that the temper of our minds and the actions of our lives may be a lively transcript of the mind and life of the holy Jesus, that we may be like him in purity and holiness, in justice and righteousness, in patience, in meekness, in charity and universal goodness, that as he was, we may be in the world, holy, humble, harmless, heavenly-minded, glorifying God on earth, that we may be glorified with him and by him, in his eternal kingdom. 21. Yet before I close this exhortation to an imitation of Jesus, I must subjoin this cautionary direction. Take heed that you do not so imitate Christ for your pattern as to disown him for your priest. This is the dangerous error of those who affirm that the greatest end of Christ's death was to give the world an example of patience, humility, meekness, and the aforementioned Christian graces, and that his suffering were exemplary but not properly satisfactory. We acknowledge that Christ's giving us an example as one end of his coming into the world and dying for us, but not the great end, a subordinate end, but not the ultimate. God preserves us from the contagion of this growing error. Other errors only scratch the face, but this stabs the heart of the Christian religion, in that it deprives us of the choicest benefit of Christ's death namely, the expiation of sin by a proper satisfaction to the justice of God. But blessed be God, we have not so learned Christ. As we are taught, so we believe, that the Holy Jesus, by the sacrifice of his death, has redeemed us from death and hell, and saved us from the wrath to come, by a full and adequate payment of divine justice, and by the redundancy of his merit, has purchased an eternal inheritance for us, as we are taught and believe. So we pray. Almighty God, who has given thine only Son to be unto us both a sacrifice for sin as also an example of godly life, give us grace that we may most thankfully receive this his inestimable benefit, and also daily endeavor ourselves to follow the blessed steps of his most holy life through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Almighty and everlasting God, who of thy tender love towards mankind has sent thy Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, to take upon him our flesh and to suffer death upon the cross, that all man should follow the example of his great humility. Mercifully grant that we may both follow the example of his patience and also be made partakers of his resurrection. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. End of the Four Evangelists